0: the Acts of the Apostles. Um, The Apostles are mentioned 23 times uh, in the book. Certainly it is the Acts of the Apostles. Some called the Acts of Jesus Christ because the first verse says that this is a record of all that Jesus began to do, the Gospel of Luke and teach. This is a continuation of it, so certainly... We see Jesus moving and acting through the book. Uh, The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts. The believers are ignited and empowered and animated by God's Holy Spirit. And certainly it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, When he enters into Acts, here he says that if the church today were in a situation where the Spirit left the church, he said 95% of what we do would keep on going and nobody would know the difference. He said in the book of Acts, if the Holy Spirit had left the church, 95% 95% of what they were doing would have come to a screeching halt, and everybody would have known the difference. So, certainly, it is the acts of the Holy Spirit under the lordship of Jesus through the apostles, pick whatever name you like. It's those acts we're talking about. Um, you know, and so important, you know, I, I'm thinking about going into it in my own life, just for me personally. I'm thinking, Lord, I've Taught on your Holy Spirit. I've studied about your Holy Spirit, Lord. I don't want to read any more books on the Holy Spirit. I I just want to spend time with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? I I don't want it to be an academic exercise. I want it to be a greater reality in my life. And and the church, whenever the church has substituted anything for the Holy Spirit, it has lacked, lacked power. It has been defeated. It has been weakened, so there's certainly something to say to us. Now, this is not a complete history of the church. This is just covers about a 30-year period from 30 to 60 A.D., and kind of in that period right there. Um, it is a record of decisions that were made, pronouncements, um, judgments that were made it gives us pictures of the of the church seeking the lord the holy spirit moving the apostles but it's not a complete history but it's what the lord wants us to have it ends in chapter 28 in paul's first imprisonment and um, most scholars say the book shouldn't end with a period it should end with a comma because it's not the end of the church's history it's the beginning of the church's history If you want to read a great single volume on church history, get the Pilgrim Church. It's one volume. Uh, I asked one of my friends uh, at one point in time, what's good church history? And he sent me 31 volumes for free, which is a bargain, you know, but it was the Nicene, Anti-Nicene, the Post-Nicene, Father Schaeffer's, you know. I'm never going to read that. I'll meet them before I read that, you know. But Dave Hunt said, no, this is what you want, Joe, and and, uh, sent me a copy of the Pilgrim Church. It's one volume. It's tremendous, and it follows the church through its history practically, informatively. That's a great volume to get a hold of if you want to study a bit through church history. Um, Here, as we look into this, You know, I think our question is, and it should be, how does a handful of believers... Christ is going to ascend. He's going to leave the church. And how does a handful of believers within a generation go from Jerusalem to Rome and touch the world? How does a church that's under small church, only one that's under religious persecution from the Jews in Jerusalem. They're under civil hostility, the iron fist of Rome. You know, we gripe and complain about, oh, they're doing all so that, you know. Just, we look at this group here, under a government that could kill any of them whenever they want to, uh, under under a the established religious system that was handing them over to civil authorities and persecuting them, and yet this church flourishes and it touches the world. And and I think we need to see that in the culture that we're in and the antagonism that's growing in our own culture and around the world towards the church. It's a, it's a great time to be here, great time for us to sit alone and pray about the things that we're looking at as we move into this, because sometimes we think, hey, hey, You know, we could use a friend in Washington or in City Hall or something, and without that, we're not going to get much accomplished. This tells a completely different story as we go into this book. I think it's important. It says here as we begin, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So, the former treatise, Have I, our author, uh, unanimously through church history from Eusebius and uh, the earliest church fathers. This is written by Luke. He mentions Theophilus, who he mentions in his gospel, in the beginning of his gospel. And uh, this is the good doctor that traveled with Paul. As of chapter 16, The book of Acts changes from they and them to we and us. Paul then is in journey uh, with Luke, and Luke goes along with him. Uh, We certainly hear of him in Colossians, and Philemon, and we follow Luke with Paul all the way to the end. In 2 Timothy, there, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, Everybody's forsaken me. Luke... Alone is with me and when Paul then is martyred Luke fades off the scene there's only two church traditions one says that he lived out his life and he died in Bithynia another says that he was martyred he was handed over to the Romans and martyred nobody's sure he just kind of fades after this so we we get to know what we know about Luke as we go through this he was a physician. He was a physician, and that is not to be thought of lightly because you had to train either in Athens, Alexandria, or Tarsus, where you could have known of Saul of Tarsus or Paul earlier. You, you did your medical training, and then you had to do the last four years in Rome at the Collegium Archaeotorum, it was called and you trained there under older physicians and finally you were licensed to practice medicine in the Roman Empire. And uh, if you did something wrong, they could revoke your license. And a lot of what they did, passed from the Greeks to the Romans, was medical practice up till the 16, 1700s remarkably. So Luke is brilliant, no doubt. Uh, I think in the Gospel of Luke there's 312 words we don't have anywhere else. Uh, Between the gospel and the book of Acts, there are over 50 medical terms that we don't have anywhere else. That No doubt, Luke is brilliant in his writing, the way he collects data. If I look at his gospel, um, it starts this way, if you remember, or if you want to turn there. It says, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also to have had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee, in order, most excellent Theophilus. There were tied to the former treatise in verse 1 that I've written. And he says, the reason that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke, here, telling us as he puts the quill to the page to write his gospel... He says, for as much as many have taken in hand, we don't know who they all are. Well, no doubt it was more than Matthew, Larkin, Luke, and John. There were many, he says, that were writing things they had seen Jesus do or heard him say. And Luke says, there are many that have taken in hand to set forth in order, he says, a declaration to make an account of, of those things, he says, which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them. And the idea there is to hand down. There were those that had been with Christ or watched Christ or heard him speak that handed down to the next generation, handed down to others, uh, unto us, he says, which from the beginning... He says, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So he uses his first medical word there. He says, they were eyewitnesses, autopiae, where we get to to do an autopsy. He says they were there, they studied, they watched him, they dissected him, they were eyewitnesses. They're seeking to make record of what they saw. No doubt Luke talked to many of them. So he said, it seemed good to me also having perfect understanding of all things. He's not being arrogant when he says that. I have perfect understanding. It's acrobos. You know, we have an acrobat who works on, walks on a typewire. It's acrobos, perfect. He said, I had a balanced and legitimate and stable place. To walk as I communicated these things. I had perfect knowledge, understanding of all things. He says, from... Now, it says the very first... The, the Greek word is anothen. Jesus said, a man's not going to see the kingdom of God unless he's born from above or born again. That's anothen. We translate it, born again, but actually the phrase is born from above. And Luke says here, so... He said, I made, you know, careful investigation. I I had perfect knowledge. It was balanced. It was legitimate. I talked to eyewitnesses who were there, who saw these things. And he said, and all of that data, as I collected it, then was guided anothen from above, he said. There was the divine aspect then that was added to what I was writing and what I did He said, from the very first, to write unto thee in order, here's his writing, most excellent Theophilus, he says, the reasoning I'm doing it is that thou mightest know the certainty. It's a Greek phrase, means it's a place without slipping, where you won't slip. And we need, in this world, in the days we're living in, to be able to put our feet somewhere where we won't slip. And there's no slipping in trusting Jesus Christ and having an accurate record of who he is and what he's done. He says that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. It's catecheo, it's oral instruction, catechism. You've been instructed in these things. Now the interesting thing is he calls them here most excellent Theophilus. It's the same phrase that Paul uses, uh, Acts 23, 24, when he says, Most excellent festus, or most noble felix. It's that word noble, excellent. It's a kratistos, kratisti here. In the, the Roman culture, there was the cratostos. Under the Kratistos, there was the knight. You think the knights came from the knights of the round table. They didn't. Uh, Pontius Pilate was of, uh, a knight of Polati, Polati Pontius Pilate. He was, that was his rank. It was a knight. It was above just military. And then you had plebes. If you've been in a fraternity, you know what a plebe is. Uh, so th- that was the common people of the day were plebes. Above them was a rank called knights, and then your governors and your senators were called catastros or cadastry here. So in that day, if you were a senator, you usually owned your own doctor. It was cheaper than Blue Cross and Blue Shield, uh, as it might be today, to own your own doctor. So no doubt Luke was probably a slave of Theophilus, who was either a senator in Rome, or a governor, and uh, possibly when he did his last four years of internship in Rome, he may have come in contact with him then. He says he talked to eyewitnesses. Look, Luke is interesting, and we're, we'll t- we're going to get back to Acts, but I thought this week, by way of introduction, we could take maybe get to know him and look at him a little bit, because he's the only Gentile writer in the Bible. And if Paul didn't write Hebrews, I think he did, but it's up for debate. If Paul didn't write Hebrews, that means Luke was the major writer of the New Testament because both his gospel and the book of Acts are long. So if Paul didn't write Hebrews, Luke is our major writer in the New Testament. And he's a Gentile, which is highly unusual. And he has that mind, though. He gives us things that nobody else gave us. No doubt when Paul was in Caesarea on his way to Rome for his first imprisonment, he was there for about two years. Luke was with him. Tradition tells us that he befriended Mary, the mother of our Lord, and that he would come to Jerusalem as Paul was in Caesarea. He would travel. He would talk to people. He tells us about Zacchaeus. Nobody else does. He no doubt became friends with Zacchaeus. He tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Nobody else does that. He specifically talks about Gabriel coming to Mary. He's the one who tells us our favorite Christmas story. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxation first took place when Quirinius was governor in Syria. He dates everything. He tells us who was in power. He gives us records that are incredible and impeccable. And no doubt the Lord took this man, blew his mind, saved him, set him on fire. And he must have had a great relationship with his master, Theophilus. So he writes the gospel for him, calls him most excellent Theophilus. Here's the interesting thing. When he begins the book of Acts, he says there, the former treatise have I made, made O oh, Theophilus, There's no excellent there. And the tradition in the early church was, when the church came together, you dropped the accolades and the titles. Because in the early church, Theophilus, even though he was a senator, was no better than the poorest person in the church. So the, the title in the book of Acts gives evidence that when he wrote the gospel, Theophilus was not yet a believer, but by the time he wrote the book of Acts, Theophilus had come to the faith. So he doesn't give him a title there and call, oh, excellent, Theophilus. He says, hey, Theo, you know, thought I'd write you again, kind of a, a thing. There's a, there's a familiarity that is born of God's spirit as he writes this second one. Theophilus, lover of God, loved of God, either way, you know, it applies to us, the, the the letters to us, so we want to look at it uh, as something certainly the Lord wants to speak to our hearts about. <clears throat> and he says here that the first treatise he wrote was all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and the inference is that this second letter is what Jesus is continuing to to do and teach. Now, some scholars argue and say the language demands that he wrote about what all Jesus began to do and teach, and, and because of the language, it only continues till the ascension. Like Jesus ain't doing anything for the rest of the book or in the world we're living in today. No, I think you can rest assured that the, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the beginning of someone who has no beginning. It tells us the beginning of the story of the one without beginning that came to a stable, to a virgin born in Bethlehem of Judea who had never touched lepers before, who had never touched blind men before, who had never been hungry before or tired before. Never been spit on or beaten. He says, The first thing I wrote was the beginning of this treatise, this record of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, inferring now, Theophilus, what I'm handing to you is the continuation of that story, because he is still very much alive, as he is tonight here, and he still has a work to do before that trumpet blows and he comes. And he put us here now. Right? I'd have made another choice. I know this. If I was God, I wouldn't be pastor, that's for sure. I'd have picked Jerry or somebody else, you know. It says, Until the day which he was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles which he had chosen. So, There were things that he began to do. He he was active in their lives. Uh, Luke's gospel gives us all kinds of things that none of the other gospels give. And then he says here, until the day he was taken up, he ministered to them. He gave them commandments. He talked to them under the power of the Holy Spirit of things that they needed to do. To whom also, it says, he showed the idea is to demonstrate he showed himself alive after his passion. Luke says, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them, Luke's not putting himself there, seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of. Of God. There's no way that we can overemphasize that, that He's with these men for 40 days in His resurrected form, showing Himself alive to them with many infallible proofs, and was seen. And Dr. Luke uses the word for ophthalmology there. One old uh, Puritan said, it, you could translate that, that He was eyeballed. By the apostles for 40 days, you know, they were with them. In fact, it says here when they were gathered uh, together, being assembled, th- that phrase is also used for eating together. Just think of what he was doing. You know, he had been appearing, disappearing. He had let them touch his hands and feet. You know, Thomas, come on, touch me. A spirit doesn't have flesh or bone. He's demonstrating a resurrection body. If they're sitting in this scene where they're assembled eating with him, they see the nail marks in his hands. They're seeing him, you know, victorious over death. It was so important because all of these men will be martyred except John. Terrible deaths, most of them. And he wants them to stay in Jerusalem until they receive power to be martyrs. So the interesting thing is these men were martyrs for years before they died. Their deaths only proved they were martyrs. But here he's gathering them, he's training them, he's showing them, he's demonstrating the resurrection. That's in the middle of what we believe as we go through the book of Acts. All of the sermons bring the resurrection into the center of it. So these guys are thinking, well, stone me. What are you going to do? Kill me, you know, crucify me. I've already seen the other side, you know. This is a remarkable set of 40 days when he talks to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom. John chapter 20 verse 22 says there, when it was just the 11 with him in the upper room, that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them as he did breathe the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, and he had been waiting since then to breathe the breath of life again, no doubt, And he said, receive, the class condition is, right now, right here, the Holy Spirit. That will be important as we go through this. Because people say this, you know, these guys were a bunch of country bumpkins, they're going to say. Is this one you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They don't know what they're talking about. No, no, no. These were remarkable men. They had been interviewed by this doctor, this physician, who's who's brilliant. More than that, they sat with Jesus for 40 days, who was beyond brilliant, who demonstrated the resurrection, and it says, And he spoke to them concerning the things of the kingdom. Luke 24, 25 says there that he opened their understanding. These men are being taught by the best teacher. They're understanding what he's saying. God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It can't be that far, far in front of us tonight. And they're going to ask about that again as we move forward into these verses. So, it speaks to them in regards to the kingdom of God. And being assembled, or are they just gathered, or as it says, are they eating together? It wouldn't surprise me if he's eating with them. Being assembled together with them, commanded them... "...that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." So he talks about the promise here in Luke's gospel as he closes... And I'll I'll read from that verse where it says, He opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So they're not novices when they ask about the kingdom being restored to Israel. And said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it uh, it behooveth Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses, there's our word again, of these things, and behold, I send the promise, there's the promise, Luke chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1, I send the promise of my Father upon you, it means to, to be clothed in, upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until you be endued, clothed with power from on high. So, the end of Luke's Gospel is an abbreviated version of Acts chapter 1. And it's the same thing. He tells them there to stay there and wait for the promise. Here again, he says the same thing. Wait for the promise. When Peter preaches and multitudes are saved... In chapter 2, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off. The promise relative to the Holy Ghost. These are men who had already received the Holy Ghost when he breathed on them. I have no problem and I completely agree that at the second you're saved, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are all baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. We are all baptized into one. That is, the Holy Spirit takes us and baptizes us into the mystical body of Christ. None of us are asking for that. I didn't say, Lord... Would you save me and put me into your mystical body? I didn't do that. I said, I'm a jerk. I'm an idiot. I'm going to hell. I'm a sinner. And the Holy Spirit does that. That's being baptized by the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about here is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that differs. Here the Holy Spirit is to come upon the believer it's called, through the gospel, Jesus said, you'll be endued, clothed with. It says it fell upon them here on the, the, uh, the, the day of Pentecost. In Peter's sermon, he says, this is the Spirit being poured out. Look, as we go through, Peter stands up, beginning of chapter 4, to preach, and it says, Peter, being filled with the Spirit, class condition, a fresh new filling. Chapter 4, verse 31, they pray, Lord, you know, give us boldness to share the good news of Jesus. And it says where the place they were was shaken, and they were all filled, class condition again, a fresh, new filling. So there's one experience that happens a single time. You know, that is when we're saved, we are baptized by the Spirit. He's the baptizer, and he baptizes us into the mystical body of Christ. Somewhere in our Christian experience, and it can be simultaneous, but we then are baptized by Jesus. He's the baptizer, and He baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Now, look, it's the experience He had. We're clearly told that Jesus was born of the Spirit. Clearly. Then, when He's 30 years old, at his baptism, there it says the Spirit came upon him, and that's when his public ministry began. These men had already become part of the mystical body of Christ, and now he's saying, "I want you to wait until you're endued with power from on high." Look, <clears throat> one of the one of the things I enjoy about Calvary Chapel is, um, you know. Many of the Baptists and our brethren, I love them, you know, we're comrades, but uh, they're, they're cessationists. And they don't believe the gifts are for today, and there's a, they're a little bit spooked by us because they're not sure if we're charismatics or charismaniacs. Okay? They're more charismatics, not charismaniacs. On the other side, you have the charismaniacs who think that we're grieving the Spirit because we don't let people talk in tongues during the service. You know what a sideshow this would be if we let people talk in tongues during the service? Every nut for 100 miles would come for an audience this big. And look, if if I have the gift of teaching and I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit's not schizophrenic. He's not going to interrupt himself teaching so that he can speak in tongues, okay? I believe the gifts are today. I pray in tongues at home. Do that you're not happy because you can't pray in tongues in church, you have to ask yourself a question. What about the other six days and 23 hours? You know, (laughs) feel free. You know, we're here to study the scripture. That's why we gather. Um, Interesting thing to me is he says this, wait. There's no plan A, no plan B. He just says, wait. Isn't it interesting? All of your training, you've been with me for three and a half years. All of your seminary, you've been sitting with me for 40 days looking at my risen body. You've got all of these natural abilities, you've got all these skills, you're all different, you've got all of this, but you ain't ready. All of that training, and they were in the best seminary that ever existed. None of that means anything until it is ignited by the Holy Spirit. You wait. You're not complete. You're not ready to go. You've seen the best. Wait. And, you know, I think about that. I mean, <laughs> I was in, uh, again, I was in Israel when Reagan bombed Libya. And you feel really far from home. You think, is this going to escalate? Ezekiel 30, I can't swim home. can't drive home. How am I going to go? You know, just, you know, you feel, and, and I'm thinking, well, Kathy, the kids, the church, they're there. I'm so far, you feel really far away. I was in Mount Hermon, California, when, uh, the Twin Towers went down. Don McClure comes pound on my door. said, Joe, Joe. I said, what? It was early. He said, "He said Washington's under attack. The Pentagon's under attack. I said, yeah, sure, Don. Shut the door. And he started banging again. He said, no, I'm telling you. And it's Don McClure, so you don't believe that. So I said, yeah, yeah, Don. Sure, sure, sure. And I shut the door again. And my phone rang. It was Kathy. <coughs> and I, all I had on was a pair of shorts. No shoes, no socks, no shirt. I walked out on the balcony to, to talk to her, and I slid the door shut. I heard click, and the, yeah, I'll always remember this. I'm locked out on the balcony now, and there was nobody in there. Everybody's across, and where I'm supposed to be, in the conference center, watching the live footage of what's going on, tears, and I and I, I so I finally climb over the balcony, let myself down, and swing and jump onto the next balcony on the second floor. I was on the third floor and banging there. There's nobody in there. Did the same thing: swing, jump down to the first floor. So finally, I'm walking around, no shirt, no socks. No, Yet you know, it's cold. I'm stepping on pine cones. I had to go find somebody that had a key to my room to let me back in. So I'll always remember that day. <clears throat> but you know, when we we finally get over there and you the the towers, you know everything. People are crying and and you feel so far from home. You know, I talked to Kath, I said, well, use the credit card, do this, you get the kids from school, what's going on, what are they doing? Um, whatever happens, the guys are there, you can talk to them, you know. And you think, if I knew that there was going to be that mess, what would I have left them so they would have been prepared, you know? If I knew there was going to be hostility and persecution, what would I have left them? Ammo? Water? You know, he loves his bride more than I love my bride. And he loves his children more than I love my children. And he knew that they were going to be martyred. He knew they were going to go into hostile territory. He knew that the forces that be on the earthly side of things were going to be against them. He's omnipotent. He knows all that. He's all powerful, so he can give them any resource of heaven, and you think, all right, Lord, what are you going to lay on them? They're headed into a deep soup here. What's going to go on? And this is what he says. He says, wait. I hate waiting. (laughs) At red lights, in the supermarket, my wife always says, you're so impatient. You're so impatient. I'm thinking, i got things to do. Jesus is coming, you know. (laughs) in the checkout stand, pull their check out. They think that's why it's called a checkout stand. And it's like, oh, I'll just pay for it. Put the check away. You know, just let me get out of here. Isn't it interesting? Wait, wait. It was ten more days before there was fulfillment to that waiting. But it's so interesting to me. He had all reasons. He had everything, and he's basically saying, everything you've got, everything you've accumulated, everything you've been taught, it's not sufficient. You all have to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you have a Ph.D. I don't care where you went to seminary. I don't care where you went to medical school. I don't care where you did this. If you're going to serve me and be my witnesses, you need an impartation of heaven to animate all of the other things from the horizontal. He says to them, wait. That's the plan. Isn't that amazing? Then he's going to float away. Uh, you know, you know, just wait, he says here. Remarkable to me as I look at this. <coughs> and, and you know, last words. If, if there's a great book by Lockyer, if, if you have any of Lockyer's series, he has one called The Last Words of Saints and Sinners. And I just have a great time reading through those, all these, you know, thing, the last things people said, you know. D.L. Moody, right before he died, he looked up and said, I see the children's faces. This is my coronation day. You know, just great things from people we heard of and the last words that came out of their mouth. So I, I love last, and this is the last thing from Jesus, recorded before his ascension. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. If the Father made the promise, it's good. You can wait for it. Which saith, ye have... Uh, which he saith he you have heard of me for John truly baptized he says with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence and what John said is there's one who cometh after me the latchet of whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus is the baptizer in that respect. And when he ascends, that will take place. It says, When they therefore were come together, then they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They asked that because they had talked with him for forty days in his resurrected form. It says he spoke to them about the things regarding the kingdom. He had opened their understanding. He had given them, you know, they, they had been born again, as it were. And and now they say, all right, Lord, so okay, we're waiting. Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom? He didn't say, oh, vei, will you stop this Israel stuff? You know, he didn't do that. God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Jesus Christ is gonna—it'll be the political capital of the world, not Washington, not Moscow, not London, Jerusalem, and Jesus is gonna set up his kingdom. We're gonna rule and reign with him. That's not—you know—you realize that could be eight years from now. It's on the horizon. I'd rather be there than 78 here. I'll tell you that. Is this when you're going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? And look what he says. He says unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, exousia, his own authority. He says says, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know everything. He's saying the same thing to us. Lord, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with the vaccination? What's going to happen with the pandemic? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with Washington? What's going to happen? And he would say, you don't need to know everything. All you need to know is this. Wait. I've made you a promise. In an hour, you think not. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And you're going to be caught up to meet me in the air. You don't need to know everything. Wait, because it's waiting for a promise here that was made you and I are waiting for another promise that was made now listen they have no idea what's going to take place again within a generation this is going to spread you know I, I look at this and I think you know Luke our chronologer here as he writes this down uh, if they'd have, if the Lord would have come then this is what Luke tells us about the progress of the book, and one of the, my authors that I read gives kind of a, a um, alphabetical order of people we meet in the book of Acts. He says, what a gallery. Enos, Agabus, Agrippa, Alexander, Ananias, Annas, Andrew, Apollos, Aquila, Aristarchus, Augustus, Uh, Bar-Jesus, Barnabas, Barsabbas, Bartholomew, Bernice, Blastus, Caiaphas, Candace, Caesar, Claudius, Cornelius, Crispus, Demaris, Demetrius, Dionysius, Dorcas, Drusilla, Erastus, Eutychus, Felix, Festus, Gaius, Gallio, Gamaliel, Herod, James, Jason, Jesus, John Mark, John, Lucius, Lydia, Menaean, Mary, Matthew, Matthias, Manassan, Nicator, Nicholas, Niger, Parmetheus, Paulus, Priscilla, Procurus, Publius, uh, Rhoda, Sapphira, Sceva, Sergius, Paulus, Secundus, Silas, Simeon, Simon, Sopater, Sosthenes, Stephen, Tabitha, Theophilus, Thuetus, Tim, uh, Timon, Timotheus, Trifemus, Tychicus, Tyrannus, and he says, and others. <laughs> you know, here's here's Luke. He, say, he says he wrote down an accurate record of what happened. And look, this, this group is saying, are you going to take us out of here today? The Lord's thinking, no, all of these other people, all of these other names, you don't understand where is this is going to go and what happens. And I see this group sitting in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia on Wednesday night studying this chapter where you're asking this question that are going to be mine. They're going to be blood-bought. They're going to be my sons and daughters. They're going to be my bride. I'm not going to do it at this time. You don't need to know the timing of all this. You just need to do what I tell you. Let's wait until you receive power that you can be witnesses Again, one of the old authors said, he says, you know, here's this. He tells him he wants to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other parts of the earth. In, in a generation, In no, it's only 30 years really in the book of Acts. He says their missionary character is demonstrated in that it went from Jerusalem. He names Ephesus, Corinth, Athens, Rome, Antioch, a- Amphipolis. Uh, Anapatris, Apollonia, Assos, Adaliah, Azotus, Berea, Caesarea, Centuria, Chios, Clauda, Syndus, Cos, Crete, Cyprus, Damascus, Derby, Gaza, Iconium, Joppa, Lystra, Lydda, Milita, Miletus, Milatine, Myra, Mysia, uh, Neapolis, Paphos, Patra, Perga, Philippi, P- Potolius, Petulia, Regium, Rhodes, Salamis, Samaria, Samos, Samanthrace, Seleucia, Sidon, Syracuse, Tarsus, Thessalonica, Tyre, Troas, and other places. Just, you know, and you think, this is all Luke. This is why the Lord chooses this guy, who's an incredible chronologer, to, you know who, who took the time by God's leading to make examination, to talk to eyewitnesses, to look at records, and and then to let that blessing from above help all of that come together. And no doubt he does the same thing here in the book of Acts. He shows up in chapter 16 where he's with Paul. Well, the first half of the book is about Peter. The second half of the book is about Paul. So how does, he, how does he pick up everything that he knows about Peter? He had to sit and talk to them. He had to talk to those that were there in the beginning. He had to talk to some that were in the upper room to get the information he has there. He has to talk to some that were there when Peter preached and thousands were saved. He, has to, you know, he had to be there when Peter and, and John said to the man that was crippled, Silver and gold have I not, that which I have, I give, uh, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You go through those chapters, up to 16, where Luke finally says, We then went and us, and you realize he did the same thing as he did in the gospel. He collected these incredible records talk to eyewitnesses was guided from above and hands to us 2000 years later a history of the beginnings and the foundation of the church that we're members of now and the challenge will be the same to us you know i think me I'll just me Lord Jesus i don't want to be in the flesh i don't want to be in the flesh We've seen great men in our lifetime. Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, Warren Wiersbe, some great men that touched the generation. Does it fall to us now? God forbid we should take the baton they're passing in the energy of the flesh. You know, they did all this. Without rear screen projections, smoke machines, media. People are saying, What if, you know, what if Zuckerberg takes you down? What if, you know, what if uh, Dorsey takes your stuff offline? What if it, uh, then it's gone? What's not gone is what happened here. What did Spurgeon have? What did Moody have? What did Whitfield have? What did Eusebius have? What did Chrysostom have? What did they have in the book of Acts? They didn't have any media. They had all that stuff. The thing is, there was something real going on, and it drew people. It was reality that drew people. And it will be reality that draws people now. But it has to be reality in your life and in my life. And then corporately, that really cooks something up then when we're all together. Every joint, every ligament supplies. There's an exhortation here for every one of us. I need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the more you're filled with the Spirit, the healthier it will be for selfish old me. And I'm sure you want... Myself and the pastors here to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the ministries we have. The, the Christ is getting returned. He, he's, he's coming. The, the world is disintegrating. It's unraveling. It's frayed at the edges. It's th- threadbare. And yet here we are. And there's a generation around us that's lost and hopeless and in darkness. What do we do? we got all kinds of plans, all kinds of methods... You know, let's be cool, let's do this with them, let's do that with them. Let's get on our knees. And let's ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. I remember Alan Redpath said he was with a man who he highly respected. And a young student came up and said, What's the secret to spiritual leadership? He said, Are you willing to pay the price? He said, What's the secret, sir? He said, Bent knees, broken heart, wet eyes. Bent knees, broken heart, wet eyes. That's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place. Let's bow our heads and let's ask God for a fresh filling of his spirit. The musicians will come, then we'll stand together. Maybe Tommy's got a Holy Ghost song. It can be both a prayer and a song. I encourage you before you leave if you feel like, you know what, I really need a fresh filling. I was a, you know, I was a, you know, a spirit-filled Christian is a condition, not a title. It doesn't matter that you were a spirit-filled Christian 20 years ago. What are you now? Me, what am I now? So let me pray. We'll pray together. Then we'll, we'll sing a last song. But then I encourage you, if you feel like I need a fresh feeling, grab the person next to you before you leave and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I want to be filled afresh with God's Holy Spirit. Not the cool spirit. Not the culturally relevant spirit. The Holy Spirit. There's a difference. Father, I know you've overheard. <clears throat> we settle our hearts before you, Lord. There's so much here. It's so rich, Lord. It's so alluring. and so pulls on our heartstrings, Lord. We are amazed as we take time and we... Look into this and allow your spirit to speak to our hearts, Lord. And we, we would ask, Lord, for a fresh outpouring. You, you, you said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his inmost being shall flow rivers of living waters. Lord, Luke in his gospel said, which one of you, being evil of his son, <coughs> asked him for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Lord, you said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Lord, we're asking, Father, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Let our lives glorify your Son, Lord. Don't let us undertake any of this in the energy of the flesh. All of the glory will be yours, Father. And we live at this time. We walk this earth at this time. We're surrounded with madness, Father. And yet the light of the glorious gospel of Christ still shines. It still touches lives. It still transforms. Lord, we don't want to be in the way of that. We want, Lord, to be adjunct to that. We want to be... Channels, Lord, for your spirit to flow through. So, Lord, fill us afresh as we lift our voices and our hearts in song, Lord. Fill us as we pray with one another, Lord. Fill us afresh, Lord. We look to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand.